following Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 20, an interview with Carlene Pettit. Her book, Flight for Control, about airline accidents, conspiracy, bankruptcy, pilot complacency, aircraft automation, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri and Len Costa. Welcome everybody to episode 20 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host Len Costa and joining me on the show today are always as always are the usual group of aviation poster children starting off with hey. Carl Valeri. <laughs> How's everything going today Carl? Oh going wonderful here in uh, sunny Florida. Actually it was kind of foggy this morning of all places to have fog. Wow fog in Florida. Who knew? I thought it was sunny there every day. It, it eventually becomes sunny. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I don't want you to be down there suffering through foggy days. Yeah, no, no. All right. I'm fine. <laughs> good. Also joining us today, Victoria Newville. What's happening, Victoria? Hello. Thank you for waiting for me, guys. I just got back from uh, City Hall getting a proclamation from the city for Fly It Forward. So cool. Tell us very excited. about that. What is that? What, what, what exactly is that? Um, Frederick is declaring uh, Women Fly It Forward weekend, the weekend of March 10th, uh, for my Women Fly It Forward event. So, um, yeah. Wow, that's, that's pretty That was pretty, pretty cool. Now, is yeah. that going to be yearly or does that just happen to be this year? Um, it's this week because the days always change. Sure. And, you know, I don't know what I have up my sleeves for next year just oh, yet. So. Well, that's true. Yeah. Well, we look forward we'll to that. Yeah. Yes. Great. And uh, finally, Rick Felty is joining us up from Boston. Rick, hello, what's hello. new, my friend? Well, it's finally winter here, which has been interesting that we haven't had a winter, but it's snowing this week, as, uh, which is kind of fun. So we're do- dealing with that a little bit. Nothing terrible, but there you go. Great. Looking forward and... to tonight's show. Let's do the pre-flight. Yes, something special, as a matter of fact. And uh, I'm Len here, and we're recording Episode 20 from, uh, once again, from the Stuck Mike Avcast World Headquarters here in the Washington, D.C. area. (laughs) And uh, today we are changing up the show format once again, as we occasionally do every few shows here and there. We have a very special guest with us tonight. Our guest is uh, here to talk about her very first novel. It's an aviation thriller. And, uh, you know, airliners are crashing throughout the world and nobody knows why a book called Flight for Control by Carlene Pettit. Carlene, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Len. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're all excited here. Actually, uh, uh, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, I hadn't read the book. Victoria had started it, and then Rick and I decided to start reading it. I know I read it in only uh, three brief sittings, and um, Victoria's read it. We're all, you know, the other two folks have read parts of it. It's, it's, we love it. So far, I'm, you know, I'm excited to have you here. I know everybody has a bunch of questions for you. Now entering cruise flight. 
Um, how about a little bit of background now, just real briefly for the listeners out there. You are an airline pilot. You've been flying for quite some time. You have experience in all kinds of different aircraft. Um, why don't you tell us briefly how you got involved in flying and, uh, and you know, your idea for the novel? Um, well, then, you know, and actually how I got involved in flying was I was told nine years ago that I couldn't do it because I was a woman. So the challenge was on. And then when I was probably 16 years old, I think, I went up for my introductory flight. And the first time I took the sky, I thought, wow, they're going to pay me to do this. So it was, it's been an amazing career. I'm actually on my eighth airline right now. Wow. Yeah, I've gone through the bankruptcies and the furloughs. And, and one nice opportunity was getting into training early on in my career. And that actually just happened because when Braniff shut down, I ended up over at America West uh, Training Department, which I didn't get on the line. But as it turned out, you know, I love training. I love teaching. It's given me the inside scoop on the airlines. And, you know, through my career, I've ended up being typewriter on pretty much almost all the Boeings, the 72, 73, 56, 747, and 747-400. But most recently, I'm on the A330. And sitting reserve, which has enabled me some time to, <laughs> to get my book done, which has been nice. Mm -hmm. Very good. So on the 330, you're flying internationally. I am. I Wonderful. Am. How would you... Well, that's probably not since you've been flying a wide uh, variety of uh, wide bodies. You've, I'm sure it's not the first uh, airline you've flown international with. Oh, no, no. I've been... Actually, I've been primarily flying international my entire career. Okay. Bra Braniff was... Actually, Braniff and Evergreen were both domestic, but... And then the trading department, that was uh, domestic, it was Arizona. Um, but other than that, I've been international my entire career. Wonderful. So, the, you know, the book, like you said, you've had some time, some downtime on reserve at this current airline. Uh, uh, well, for listeners, actually, briefly, reserve, uh, airline reserve is basically equivalent of being on call for a certain period of days. So there's, there's times when, uh, you know, us as airline pilots will fly a couple of hours. I actually ran into some folks the other day who said one month he flew nine hours, the next month he flew 90. So you never really know. So, um, you know, that's given you some opportunity to work on the book. But the idea itself, where did you, I mean, the flight for control, if anybody reads even just the uh, the beginning um, of the book, the prologue, it's absolutely uh, uh, gripping. It, it's yes, gripping. It, it, seriously. I mean, where'd you come up with the idea for this? Well, I have to tell you, I... Uh, probably it was about four years ago during contract negotiations for one of the airlines I was working with. One of the um, MEC chairmen, they said, they had made a comment, I'd rather see this airline shut down than give them anything. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty powerful statement, you know, especially for somebody going through so many airlines because I've watched people's lives just turn upside down and disappear and and so it was very impacting to me thinking, no, you, you don't know what you're saying. You don't want to shut it down. And then I wondered how far could a pilot go in the name of passion? You know, we see, see people doing stuff and, and, and murder and, and for, for their belief systems. And I'm thinking, wow, how angry could, could somebody get? And then I thought, how far could this industry push a pilot to the edge? I mean, I've got a background, a um, couple masters, and one is in counseling, and so I've done a lot of work in psychology, and I thought, you know, everybody has their breaking point, and, and we expect our airline pilots to be the stellar, uh, rock-solid sky gods, but they're still just people. Right. And so, so I had these thoughts, and I did a little work with our union um, 
one of the unions I worked for with years ago. And at the time when these bankruptcies were happening and, and I was down there and I had heard from um, at one of the meetings that we had within the last year had six pilot suicides at that point. I thought, wow, that that's just, you know, it's sad. It's sad that somebody, anyone in any profession could go take their life because of the loss of a job. Right. But that's how impacting this is, you know, because I think when we get into airline, into the airline, it's just not a job. It's, it's a career. It's a life. It's more, you know, yeah, you, life. It is. You give up your life. You know, in the airline industry, you give up your, you give up a huge chunk of your life dedicated to that company, you know, and you're, you miss, you miss your children's events. You have, you know, you don't have time with your spouse, excuse me, your spouse. You're flying international, backs of the clock. You come home completely exhausted and you're supposed to be up. You know, you know, you give everyone your best on the road and then who gets the worst when you get home? It's usually your family. Mm-hmm. So, so you give so much. And then, and now with, you know, I just, you could see the writing on the wall with the airlines going out of business and the mergers and acquisitions and, and the fatigue rules and, and everything that's happening, it just kind of all came together. And I just thought, you know what? The story needs to be written. Well, it's interesting after reading it, and I'm sure I will touch upon this a little bit later, but I, you know, I've re- I read the book and I'm th- now I'm flying with people and I'm thinking about the plot of the book and I'm looking at the person next to me going, you better not try anything <laughs> foolish. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you tweeted something this week that made me think think about that. Well, do you remember what it was? It was something, somebody, he was uh, not a people person, I believe, was the phrase. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> the captain who introduced himself and then later on in the day says, I'm not a people person. I hate people. And I'm like, oh, well, it's it's great to be working with you, <laughs> sir. Oh, isn't that amazing? You know, it's... <laughs> I'm like, seriously, I mean, maybe that's true, but you probably don't want to verbalize that to the person you're going to spend the next four days <laughs> with. <laughs> Sounds like you should be flying cargo or something. Oh, my gosh. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the book. Uh, I know Victoria has a bunch of questions, so um, why don't we let her start out and, um, and have, the, uh, have the podium for a little bit. Podium? Yes. Wow. Way to put me on the spot, Len. Boom, it's you. <laughs> you're there. Well, um. I guess one question I had is kind of not directly related to the book or maybe about future books is um, general aviation. Do you think you can see yourself writing anything about general aviation in the future? Oh, absolutely. I've got, I have so many stories I can't even tell you. And I have a historical fiction novel that, that came to me. um, Actually, it came to me in a dream. I woke up and I thought, Oh wow, this needs to be written. So yeah, definitely there'll be aviation, general aviation books out there. And I'm actually trying to get back into um, flying general aviation, and I want to do it right because in the Seattle area we've got the SeaTac, Boeing, and Renton, all the TCA. You know, they're kind of all under one umbrella. And so there has been so much that has changed since I did this 30 some years ago. So I'm actually trying to go to Instrument Ground School and and get a start all over, stepping into it. That's great. Yeah. Good luck with that. Thanks. What well, you know? Um, go ahead. You, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say one of the thing. The follow up on lens thing. I know we're jumping around, but that's just probably what we're gonna do. Um, it sounds like you, you know, besides r- wanting maybe to write a really compelling, dramatic book. I mean, if you don't necessarily have any inside knowledge of uh, of the uh, airline industry or aviation at all, this is still you know a really a really great 
read. And so there's that. But it sounds like you really thought, I'm, I'm going to, this is, a, I'm telling something important here, even though this is a novel. Is that true? It's, you, it's very true. Yeah. So you it's had a, there was a mission there. I mean, it sounds like it anyway. There was. And, and the challenge for this is because you don't want to come across too preachy. And so I didn't, I just didn't want to preach, but I wanted the story to come out. And there's a lot of things that have happened for some of you for the plot point, you know, a couple mm. instances in there that have to do with automation, mm. that have to do with recency and reserve and, and whatnot. For those of you who know that I've been sitting and not flying and, and trying to fly, um, mm. you know where that came from. Mm -hmm. And my, my belief system on that, on how important it is to stay current and stay proficient and that you need to get out flying instead of just visiting the simulator. So right. that needed to come out. But I also wanted to, against, against the traditional writing rules, because I went to a lot of conferences, I read a lot of books, and everybody had told me, stick to one genre when you're doing your books and stick to um, one group. They said, this is going to be a thriller, you know, you have to go for the men, or we have to go to the aviation industry. And I wanted to write a book that everyone would love. And so it could be a marketing nightmare. What shelf do you put it on? Right. Because wh where does it go? And I, and I wrote it in such that I didn't want to dumb it down for the pilots, right. but I wanted somebody who was not a pilot to be able to pick this up and read it and learn something and enjoy it, but not, not be baffled as to what's going on. Yeah. The deep, like that, even that opening, the prologue um, has a whole lot of great detail in there that, like I, I don't, you know, I'm just a private pilot, but I, I understood what was happening. But I, but I think it, it still reads okay if you aren't, and I think that's important for people to know that it isn't just for aviation folks. Yeah, I had actually I had one of my girlfriends is not a pilot. She's never touched airplanes, and I, she's the one that actually read it four times um, mm -hmm. because I wanted to get her feedback. And yeah. my husband, you know, he's been around aviation only because he sees me come and go. Right. But he doesn't know anything about airplanes or you know right. he and carry last. And so I also made him read it. And it was kind of interesting that the comments because on the writing it was it was excellent feedback because I was discussing a stall. Right. And in there the questions that came back they said in their mind a stall is, was is the engine the stop. Engine, right. engine stop. Right. Right. And so I thought, oh wow, okay. And then I had another uh, friend, she's a private pilot, read it. And so she was reading and she said, Well wait a minute. There's you don't want to push the button. You want to turn it on or off. And I thought, oh, she's this is not her you know, framework. She's never flown an airplane that has push buttons. Maybe uh -huh. I need to explain this a little bit better so she you know, under can see it happening. Interesting. Um, well, yeah, I you know, the funny thing my daughter says, she goes, Mom, I noticed you used brand names. Like you didn't say cell phone. You said iPhone. Hmm. <laughs> she says, are you trying to go for the... Um, for, you know, to have them in the movie. And I said, but, you know, the interesting thing is if you can use a one word that people have a perfect visual of what's happening, yeah, yeah. you know, it works. It really does. It's, it seems more, it seems more real. I, I mean, I think all that stuff worked. I think I, I, I noticed that, but I also, I think it was great. Yeah, you know, that whole opening thing, you've all, you know, you just need to, minimally, you do get a good sense that, that you are nearing the ground sooner than you want to be. You know what I mean? Even if you aren't a pilot. That, that and the stall is is another part of that, but lower, lower, lower. Where's the airport? I mean, it's very well done. So. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Did you have to do like a lot of research for this? I know your main character was from the NTSB. So, did you have to interview? Did you interview anyone? No, you know, and actually, um, Vic from 
from commuting on flights, I've actually had multiple opportunities to just random sitting with people who have actually worked for the NTSB or did work for it. It's amazing how many people I run into that are involved in, in something. And so then I just chat with them and pick their brains for it. Perfect. Yeah, but but the final research I have to tell you on the on the seven sixty seven because it'd been a long time since I'd flown and, and instructed on that plane, and I'm thinking, you know, something doesn't seem right about this. And so I emailed a, one of my followers on my blog who who's just the nicest young man. He actually just went through seven five seven six school, so I sent him a sent him a couple uh, questions. I said, okay, can you tell me real quick did I get this right? And thankfully I did that because he cleared up a couple points that I was you know messing up between my my mini airplanes so yeah i've i've done a little bit of research but a lot of the a lot of this stuff is just from air you know my experience actually flying these airplanes carlene i'd like to ask a a question pertaining to a little bit a few months ago when you said you know there's some stuff about automation there's a there were a lot of instances in the book of descriptions and automation and accidents and stuff that I could relate from what you were writing as fiction, but maybe my inside experience as an airline pilot and knowing some other things, you know, I'm looking at this saying, this is, this seems like a, you know, a reference to accident XYZ and incident XYZ. I mean, were you using real world stuff like this for influence or were you using, you know, real world examples intentionally masked uh, to prove your point and in, in, in the storyline? Um, Lynn, actually, the three accidents that Catherine's investigating, um, you hit it right on. They are real-world accidents. They really did happen. And we've never really had a definitive reason as to why. And I know two yeah. of them. I'm not sure if I could have figured out the third one. But I, two of them I pointed out in my own mind. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's this one, and I'm pretty sure it's this one. Yeah. Yeah, which is the third one without giving too much away? The... Oh boy, let's see. I remember with the regional one, that sounded for. Let's see, was it regional? Yeah. I feel like we're talking in code. It's yeah, I know. Are. The regional one, <laughs> and then flight I for flight for control code. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The other one, I wish I could remember which one it was. One, one, one of them cartwheeled. One of them. Um, okay, the cartwheel. I think the cartwheel one. I saw some association into. Okay, another uh, one was a radar flag. Now that one, I don't think I'm familiar with that one. Okay, but um, yeah, I mean, I can't even tell you as a as an airline pilot just reading this book. I'm like, I I lived this book. You know, this is this is like a perfect inside look of what my life is like, what dealing with the union was like, what you know, are, and then myself questioning: Are people people I'm working with are they really that devious? Are they really going to behave in the ways that you shared in the book? And and I really by the end of the book, I'm like. This was a great book, but I actually think I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I can imagine. Yeah, well, you know what, for, for, there's still a few people. One of my first readers, he actually is a retired Northwest Airlines captain, and, and he went to Amazon and wrote a comment that said, well, it's not quite believable. And I, and I find it fascinating because there's some people who think it's not believable, but 90% of everyone get through them, they go, wow, this actually could really happen. Now, my, daughter, my, my middle daughter who read this, she said, 
you know, mom, I had a real problem with the beginning of, nah, he couldn't do that. And then it got a little bit further and she kept saying, no, but he wouldn't do that. And, and then she got a little bit further and said, you know, by the time I got to the end of this book, I thought, what if he could do this? You know, and, and so, which is kind of empowering. And that's, that was the hardest thing to make something that's so unbelievable, believable. But the people who don't believe it are the ones who don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe something like that could happen. Right. You know? And, but, but ask the, you know, ask the guys on that FedEx flight, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that with the crew member who tried to take down the flight into, into the sort center. Oh no. Oh Yeah. It was it was a uh, um, it was devastating and and the story behind it is incredible. But there there have been numerous incidents. They try and keep them buried away. Well, I and can imagine why. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully we get enough. You know, we have enough structure and you know awareness when we t- bring people through training that we're looking at more than just can you find the airplane, but where your head's at. But I'll tell you, on the there were times on the. Actually, I have an, an inspiration of another book, and this is kind of funny, and, and it will be it will be a book. But I was flying with a captain over at one of my previous airlines, and I was a second officer on the seven forty seven, and and contract stuff was going on. He was complaining, complaining, and I'd flown with him before. Imagine sitting in this little closed-in room for twelve hours with nothing but just negative, and it just like it wait it waits on you, and the, and the co-pilot. You know, he made a comment about, boy, I used to be, you know, really healthy, and now it's like I have blood, high blood pressure and I've got ulcers because of this. And I'm thinking to the both of them, I'm thinking, wow, I, I couldn't live in a thing like that, in an environment like this forever. Mm-hmm. You couldn't pay me enough money because it's so depressing and, and anger feeds on itself. And, and, and you're with one person who's angry and somebody's angry and they're just building, building, building. So I just kind of pushed my seat back. Now, the interesting thing was, this guy was an FFDO. And I looked at that gun, and I had gone through training before. And I'm looking at that. By the time we hit LA and we're, we're taxing in, and the talk is still going, and he has one hand on the thrust lever and one hand on the control, and he's taxing in. And I looked at that gun, and I'm thinking, wow, I could take that and shoot you. Now, I would never do something like that. But here's this thought going I could shoot him, the co pilot. And then I'm thinking, no. And I, I mean, it's think of this in a cartoon thought process, not a serious one, is because the next bubble thought that came out of my mind, oh man, I could just shoot myself in the head listening to this stuff, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so this is what, what was think going through my mind as we're taxing in, and then I got a good night's sleep, and I'm up working out, and I'm thinking, oh, what a fabulous movie, what a fabulous movie that starts out with something like this, that mm-hmm. this anger in this cockpit, and then you put that weapon is allowed to be there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and here are these people, it's like, how far does this stuff go? Um, and now we're going to probably shut down the FFTO program after this podcast, but <laughs> um, hopefully not because it's a good program. But, you know, so, so when situations like that come up, those are the kind of things that I, I, you know, I hear, I see, I think about it, and then I take it to that next level. And I'm always, always saying, what if, you know? And sometimes what if is kind of scary if you, if you, you know, you can either go in and say "what if" and acknowledge it, or you can can hide from it, kind of. But well, I'm I'm with you there, Carly, and I tell you, 
every so often sitting there looking at some of these FFDOs and saying, gosh, how did he get his hands on a gun? You know, it's like he seems like a real nut job. But obviously they've gone through this big process. But, you know, you're, you know, you have hours sitting next to somebody saying, oh, yeah, you know, this this person could take me out if they want to. I hope I don't get this person mad on this yeah. flight. I hope they don't have a temper. <laughs> I hope they don't exactly. have a real temper. Or, or who's the guy who accidentally set it off in the, oh, in the cockpit? Right. <laughs> Oops. But, you know, and the good thing is, is, I mean, the bad thing, we're not supposed to be carrying these international, but the good thing is, is, is take, take sitting in there for 12 hours with somebody fatigued now on top of everything else. And at the end of a, a 12 day trip, have you been flying 12 hours and, and you're packing, that might not be a really good, good thing to have happen. But, but, you know, the training on the side note, the training down there is, is incredible. And there's a lot of good people out there who work in the program, and it's a really good good program. So, isn't that? Aren't they uh, cutting the funding on that? Isn't well, that there was just a debate? email about that. Yeah, there's yeah. Some, some issues with the funding. Mm-hmm. So you may not see as many. Yeah, you might might not. Interesting. Yeah. And then what does that mean? What's the repercussion down the line if uh, we don't have as many or no more, you know, armed personnel in the flight deck? Well, and take it for this. It's only domestic, so. Well, yeah, that's true. and That's another part of the problem, but we can't fix that by talking about it tonight. No, we can't. Um, You know, it's interesting, though, just going on that whole security thing. I actually um, had flown some heads of state, and there's a, you know, they, they do this huge background check. And once you get through that, it's like, gosh, you know, it's, you're almost invisible to them. And they, uh. You're able to walk around and do anything, and maybe maybe we'll go more towards that, towards uh, more of a trusted type of tra- traveler, other than what they call the trusted traveler program, but something a little more in depth, you know, where they actually go in and profile the individuals coming in, or you know, look at their backgrounds, etc. Who knows? Who knows what's down coming down the road here? But uh, yeah, there's you know, uh, I don't know if you mind if I just jump in here. I have one one question for you as far as the. Uh, the furloughs and, and the job losses, et cetera, is that, uh, and I kind of dropped off there, so hopefully I didn't miss much. But um, one of the things I've done for the past decade is, you know, I work for this uh, pilot union and um, I chair this committee where we help the furloughees. And boy, when I was reading your story, I I kept going back to the stories that I hear. Even today, I get a phone call from someone saying, you know, I, I got a, my wife has cancer and I need to get these days off and the company won't let me have the days off. And I was like, wow, here I am reading your book and I get this phone call, right? As I'm, and I'm like correlating the two saying, gosh, you know, she's obviously has some experience here and, and it, it shows, it definitely shows in your book. And uh, I'm sure you've, you've written all these experiences as far as the job losses and the furloughs and and the low pay that we have to go through, et cetera, just from your experiences, I think that's terrific. I think as a as an airline pilot, you say to yourself, "Gosh, this this is great. It's great because it gets the story out too." Right. So I applaud you for that one. Well, thank you. A little scary though. I mean, it's uh, just you know, like you were saying with the uh, you look at the personalities in the cockpits, and and there's days, guys, you sit there and say, "Gosh, can this really happen?" You know, not to give too much of, a, of the plot away, but. But, I, you know, now I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to be like looking at the person next to me. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you look, now you sound like me. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. The last four days I had at work, and you know, with Captain Personality, who's not a people person, I was like, I'm watching this guy like a hawk. I'm, I'm making sure, you know, if I had to, I could reach the crash axe behind me. And uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. You got the best of my imagination, Carlene. I'm not going to lie. It was wandering at work <laughs> this week. <laughs> well, I, and I have to tell you that there should be possibly a, a worse evil out there. And, and I touched on a little bit about the automation mm-hmm. because, you know, and I've been reading newspaper articles and stuff recently that are coming out that, you know, automation's a fabulous thing. It's like, especially when you're flying the backside of the clock late at night, you're shooting approach down to minimums. You want the most help you can get. But what I see happening with the new generation in a, a, of pilots and what, what I kind of touched on a little bit is the fact that we're growing up in the automated world. And, you know, as hard as you try, no matter what you do, things break. And are our pilots going to be able to know how to fly their airplanes when, when the worst happens? And, we, and, I, and I think that, that we get complacent out there. You know, we get complacent flying with all this magic when it goes away can we do it mm-hmm. and, yes. and and you know carlene you hit the nail on the head because there's you know I, I still do a lot of primary instructing and and some of these folks will actually really rely on that autopilot and i'm sitting there saying in a single engine really you know are you going to turn the auto and, and they really use it as a crutch and they they can't even turn it off and, and fly some of them and i was like wow so we're leaving that off for the rest of the flight. It just failed. I'm popping the circuit breaker. And, and you're right. I mean, you get you get too reliant on it and you forget your skills. But like you said, though, it's, it is good. You know, if you're sitting there really tired and you're doing an approach, gosh, you know, it's like this is wonderful. Thank God for the autopilot. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, I saw this when I um, was instructing down at Guyana. I went down and put their 757 in service for them. And, and these pilots hadn't had never flown at altitude or, or had never flown jets. And what I noticed, because we initially, they came through America West's program is what they did is they started just depending on this, they flew it, you know, they, they just followed it. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't, you could never at one point ask them, where are you? They didn't know. So I really, when I went down and, and, and took that program down into their country, we pulled everything away and we said, okay, you know, let's tune a VR. We should learn how to do that. And can you tell where that is? And we started navigating. We started building the airplane. We started building the magic around them and trying to, you know, trying to teach them that, you know what, you're flying this airplane. Is the airplane doing what you want to do? You know, instead of here, the airplane's going, let me just follow you. And, you know, just a, it's a, a way of thinking. But yeah, we get, we get dependent upon it. And this magic little airplane I'm flying right now. Thankfully, I flew with somebody after my probably my first year on. He said, make sure you take the time and, and click everything off and fly this airplane, you know, as often as you can. Because when you do it, he says, the time you're going to have to do it, you won't know how to do it. And I thought, wow, that's kind of a sobering thought because there's a lot of people out there who are flying who never take the, take the magic off. And they don't believe that it's a real airplane. Hell no, it's, it's different. It has laws. <laughs> And, and it is just an airplane, you know, but you got to, got to have the confidence to, to kick everything off and just fly it. Sure. You know, your point there is something that we've talked a lot. I mean, this is episode number 20 that we've, we're recording today, but we have spent uh, a lot of time amongst ourselves on previous episodes, emphasizing you know, learning to fly, using automation effectively, being able to manipulate the aircraft when automation does fail. The idea is basic airmanship. And like you you commented upon, 
there's so much we're growing up in this age where everything is automated there's so much technology we need to go back to the basics as pilots and and when i was flight instructing i was still flight instructing in an air and this is only 6 years ago you know an airplane that had a six pack it had round gauges now you're learning your private pilot certificate in a glass cockpit and i think that's a total injustice to learning how to fly an airplane, learning how to develop a good instrument scan, and just you know learning how to use the basics of needle ball airspeed and that kind of thing. So it's a, something that we've talked about. We're very passionate about on the show of sharing different examples, um, and you know those stories in the book relate to that. And again, seeing the different accidents and seeing the other stories, you know everything I could see. And I'm like, I know exactly what she's talking about. I know why she's talking about this. And and I, I completely agree. I think, uh, you know, Carl and probably the rest of us agree as well that, you know, getting back to basics is, uh, is an important skill. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And, you know, and I look back, I look at um, Al Haynes and at United in the Sioux City accident. Right. That, that, those people survived that, that crash because of his skills. And nobody's ever been able to duplicate this in the simulator. Right. Right. And, and he could do it. And, and I actually had a chance to talk to the flight engineer and, and they, they were so close of not even flipping that airplane, just coming down and landing, but the airplane was just porpoising and they just happened to meet the ground at the downward porpoise and there was nothing they could do. Mm-hmm. Had they, had they just caught it in the upward portion, it would have just bellied right on in. But, but what an amazing job. But you look at today's Today's pilots coming up with this automation. Do they have those skills to do it? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say no. They don't. Well, and what do you, do you feel that automation is partly to blame? Is it the training that's partly to blame, or is it what the new FAA regulations are? You know, we need to have 1,500 hours to be right seat. Are we just putting people too young in the cockpit? Um, and, and I don't mean left seat, but you know, you've got. It's kind of like flight instructing. You've got somebody experienced with somebody inexperienced. What do you do? You feel that that's really the you know? Could that be an underlying problem? Well, and here's the thing on this. I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I was 20, in my early 20s, 23, I think, when I went and got my 727 type rating. I had 700 hours. And I went out and I, and I was flying for Evergreen. And I could do it. I had no problem doing it. Um, so is it possible? Absolutely. Sure. But here's the irony of this thing is I was working for Braniff and now I'm, I'm a second officer, so I'm not getting flight hours. And I called down to, when Braniff shut down, I called down to America West to, um, you know, see about getting hired. And I spoke to a woman on the phone and she said, you have to have 1,500 hours. And I had 1,399 hours or something. You know, I was like, you know, a good 100 hours away from, from the requirement. But... I had a 727 type rating. I had a 737 type rating. I had been teaching in the simulator and I've been out, you know, actively working on, you know, as a second officer on this plane. You know, I, I had probably had 900 hours as, as SO. So in my, my mind, I'm thinking, what's 100 hours? Because this is not 100 hours of 152 time. This is 100 hours and plus here's this additional time operating in the plane. And she told me, to go rent a Cessna 152 and fly around Boeing's traffic pattern for that hundred hours, and <laughs> and I'm and I was wow. completely amazed. And then, and then when when I said, you know, I'm thinking this is crazy. So then, 
it was our old chief pilot from Rana who had gone down there. When he had heard I called down there, he called me up and said, how would you like to be an instructor? And I said, absolutely. Okay, now here's the irony of this thing. America West wouldn't hire me with the quality of time that I had because I was shy 100 hours, but they actually put me as an sim instructor to teach their pilots. Right. So none of this made sense, and this is how this is how I started my my airline career, basically. <laughs> Understanding why A doesn't equal B most of the day. Right. So this random fifteen hundred hours means absolutely nothing. I think it's. I think they're trying to pee something. You know, I for those of you who've read the book, you know, I've commented on that. You know, um, what about the captain's time? You know, two fifteen hundred hour pilots don't make three thousand mm. hours of experience, and one hour. 1500 times is not good experience. What right. does that do for you? So there, there's gotta be, gotta be a way. And you know, if you go back to, to the very early days of, of aviation, you know, these guys, I, we had captains at, at, at Northwest airlines who, you know, I meet them and they said, Oh yep, I came in to get a, they said they were hiring engineers and I went in there and I said, Oh no, that's the wrong kind of engineer. This is on an airplane. Oh, go get a license and come back. And so here they go out and get their pilot's license and do a little flying and come back and get a job. And now they're flying passengers around the world. So can we do it? We're li we're living in a different system now. You know, it's saturated. There's a lot more safety issues now because there there's so so many planes out there. You know, it's like that's an issue in itself. But but back to the original question, what is it? Is it hours? Is it experience? What can we do with automation? You know, the automation, because of the automation, because the airplanes are so reliable, they are, the FAA is, cut, we are cutting back training because nothing ever breaks. And so you might see something, you get to do it in the simulator manually one time, but that's it. Yeah, once a got, year. Exactly. When I got my, my 7.5 type rating down at America West, they had, that was the easiest type rating, easiest thing I've ever done in an airplane. They wouldn't, would not let me take the autopilot and turn it off. Mm-hmm. I had to fly it with autopilot. I had to show that I knew how to manage the systems. And I think I did steep turns and stalls. That was it. Everything else was on the on the autopilot. Now, you take somebody who goes to a checking event who can manage the systems fine. Now that goes away. What do you have? And now they've got, you know, 300 people in the back of their plane. Mm -hmm. So um, it's we don't want it to go away. We need that automation. But... But I think we need to, the, the, you have to think about the pilots who are not taking it, who are not clicking it off because when they're flying, they're letting the airplane do it and they're intimidated maybe or they just don't feel comfortable. That in itself is kind of a scary thing because why don't they feel comfortable? How, do you, how are you going to get them comfortable enough to go out and be you know, confident to sure. get everything off on their Airbus and hand fly it? Sure. And the only way you to do that is in the simulator. But... That takes money. It takes a lot of money. It's very expensive. So, but one quick question about that: Have just in your experience, have you had an autopilot or automation failure? And I guess, Len, you, you can answer this also and say the past five thousand hours, how many autopilot failures have you had? Um, for me, that's that's probably not a, a good question to ask because I'm on the other end of the spectrum, which I already also addressed in there about not flying. I've been on the airplane for two years and on the Airbus for two years and I, I've been back to do bounces for all those uh, listeners are those things that we go on the simulator when we're not proficient 
because we haven't been flying. We've got to get, you know, three takeoffs and landing in the last 90 days. In two years, I've been back, I think, six times. So I'm not flying at all, and which is very, uh, it's uncomfortable for me being that I come from this training background. I know the importance of, of doing, you have to do it. You have to do it to be good, you know. And, and, and I'm, you know, it's kind of funny if you see me, I've got, I've got panel pictures up in my wall and, and, you know, I'm like the best I can do is studying how to fly and visualizing how to fly this airplane, visualizing how to land. You know, I soak in the bathtub and close my eyes and visualize how to land my airplane. Now, this is how I stay proficient. (laughs) It's kind of a, um, you know, let's, it's not a real, real comfortable, comfortable feeling. So but you're actually doing that, which is good. Sure, yeah. I wanted to say at least to give recognition to the fact that you, you know, you're aware of that internally, and that you don't want to lose, uh, lose that sharpness, and so that you at least perform that. And so, I don't. Maybe it's not always just the automation and the training, but again, encouraging folks that we fly with to be a little bit more hands-on and sure okay so when the weather is at uh, category two minimums and there's thunderstorms it's late at night you've been up all day that's not the time to be hand flying I understand but you know when it's good day clear day visual conditions maybe we should start you know one thing we could do is to start encouraging other folks hey why don't you hand fly for a little bit and it's funny because just uh just yesterday, I was flying out into Wisconsin, and like 40 miles from the airport, we're above 10,000 feet, about 11 or so descending. I knocked the autopilot off, and I was like, yeah, I'm bored. Let's have a little fun. Let's fly this thing. And the guy looked at me, and he's like, seriously? And I was like, yeah, I'm bored. I'm not going to sit here and push any more buttons. I'm flying. That's what I'm here to do. I'm a pilot. I'm going to fly this airplane. And um, you know, maybe that's just a, that, that might, but what we have to do is just encourage each other to do that. Now, going back to Carl's question, in the last, my, all of my years of flying, I've only had one autopilot malfunction. It was MEL'd from the beginning, which means that uh, we never had it to, for, you know, from the beginning of the flight. So I had to hand fly the airplane all the way from, um, I think it was Providence all the way out to Cleveland. So it was a good hour and 45 minutes at straight and level, you know. And when you're going, uh, you know, Mach 7, 8 in the sky, you got to keep close attention. You sneeze and you're going to nose over. So it's 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 really interesting. Um, but, you know, I like to hand fly. And I don't know, maybe some folks, maybe it's what you said, Carlene, maybe they're overwhelmed or they're scared because uh, they've lost touch with it. But I've seen that before, you know, when it gets time to Time to fly the airplane by hand. Not that they're dangerous or unsafe, but they're just not quite confident to their abilities because it's been so long. Right. And you know what? Confidence is so huge. It really is. But, you know, here, here's something else in addition to the autopilot, probably more prevalent than an autopilot failing, is putting in wrong data into the system because it's going to do what, what you tell it to do. And, you know, think of this. You're now out on a 12-day trip. Somehow if you look at a 12-day schedule, you're in a hotel room 10 of those days and you're flying ocean to ocean to ocean and back and forth and you're tired because even you just, you, you miss a couple of days of sleep plus you're not sleeping well and so you're tired, you're at the end of the, you know, your trip and human errors are going to be happening and that that's when the wrong data gets put in. And so if you get complacent just trusting this airplane is doing what it's doing and you make a mistake in putting something incorrectly, You'll, you can just watch it fly down the wrong path. Sure, you know? sure. Good point. 
that's what the, and that's the nice thing about our aspect of flying professionally is even if training is only for depending on you know what's what position you're flying and even if it is only once a year the stuff like crew re, re, crew resource management we talk about a lot of these things I, I hope more people absorb them as reality usually when i'm sitting in crm class my like my jaws on the floor and i'm just going oh my gosh how did that person get in that situation and i try and think you know the whole monday morning quarterback how did they do that? Would that ever happen to me? And these experiences are always an eye opener for me. They usually scare me more than, you know, for me to remember when I'm out there on the line, don't do this, don't screw this up, don't do it like that, you know. And I, I just try and stay more aware every day of what's happening. Oh, you know, and, and the thing is, is, is not, we're not going to do it. It's like if and when, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, because there's going to be that time when, you're tired, I'm tired, you know, whatever the situation is. And these errors just sneak through occasionally. And well, you find it in time is the better question because it's not that, a, you know, there's no flight that goes by with no error ever happening. It's do you catch it in time? And, uh, you know, you go from there. Yeah, because, you know, it, it never is one thing. There, there's always multiple, you know, everything. It's like the perfect storm. There's a bunch of stuff happening. You know, are we going to let them all happen at once? It's just trying to, to be aware to catch it, mm -hmm. catch it before it, it goes, you know, head south. Now, I have a question for you guys that have read it. And those of you who have not got past chapter four, probably not a good question. This is the well, question who'd about. Get past chapter four, though. That was the best. <laughs> Plug your ears now. Before See, I told four. you, I told That's you fun. there is something for everyone. I have to tell you something funny. I was on the um, deadheading home from Tokyo. And there was somebody sitting in first class in front of me reading my book. And so I walked by and I tapped him on the shoulder and, and I turned the back jacket and, and looked, pointed the picture and pointed myself and his eyes got kind of wide and I kind of laughed. <laughs> so I go sit down behind him and it was probably about three hours later, a little napkin, cocktail napkin comes back to my seat over the, you know, over his and it says chapter 23 was very nasty, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something I would do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. So anyway, so here's my question to you guys. Um, sex or no sex in books like this? Mm. Did well, it take sex. away from it? Did it add to it? Vic likes the sex, okay. <laughs> I don't... I actually... I admitted prior to uh, to downloading this book on Kindle, I don't, I don't ever read fiction, so... Um, to me, it almost played into, this is going to sound really, really bad, but it almost played into the pilot lifestyle. You know, just, again, something oh, that I could, I could associate with, you know, things that you hear and perceive going on in the industry. And I was like, yeah, that seems, I mean, it all seems normal to me is my point. I think it got you to know the characters better. That's why I liked it. For the okay. different characters that become like, you know, kind of your family when you're reading it you get to know these people throughout the book i think the um the sex scenes added to it because it's on a more personal level yeah oh, good that, that's actually really a good point yeah no i i i don't i didn't find them distracting that they're they're well written and they're, they're they're i thought it was great i was you know i, I think say intentionally saying they shouldn't be in a book like this for some reason I, ne that never occurred to me you know okay so, Feels like it feels like everything fit pretty well. My my only comment is uh, my girlfriend's not going to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> There's not, no Carl? way. 
There's no way. <laughs> I mean, you'll be, in you know, <laughs> I think she, think about this. I mean, she, she has that perception of this lifestyle. And if she was to read this, then it would just verify <laughs> that perception and solidify her thoughts. <laughs> I'm so, I'm in so much trouble. There's no way I would, oh boy. I would let her go through that now. So we're, I'm hiding the book after I read it. <laughs> you know, I, I sent her a copy the other day. Oh, I, I knew to. you would. <laughs> hey, Carl, I, you, you don't ever go home with the suntan, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I live in Florida, so I can get away with that. <laughs> but no, no, I understand. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it is tough when you're, you know, she's sitting here and, and having such a good time and this is, you know, kind of goes along with that and, or I'm having such a good time and she's like working real hard and, and, uh, she's like, well, what'd you do today? Um, my ties on the beach, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah. kidding me. And I've been busting my butt, but yeah, the whole, that whole thing about, uh, but, but the problem is when I was reading it too, it, it kind of hit home cause you know, Len backed me up on this too, is that, you know, that you see this stuff going on. And uh, yeah, that's why I was saying it didn't seem ah, out of place. Yeah, yes, it it definitely was. It was it was very true to life. It fit into the exactly fit into mm -hmm. the just fit in. Yes, I don't know what more to say about that. Pilots aren't whores, but it fit in. That's you know, and I have to tell you a funny story because this first sex chapter came in, and when I was back at the writers' conference, and they said that you need to make sure you're not writing thinking your mother's going to read this. You have to go way out there because if you write guarded, then it just doesn't have authenticity to it. And so I'm listening to something, and what is the most difficult thing for me to write would be to do the sex chapter. So so we're at this writer's conference, and, and everyone's reading. We're giving, there's five of us, in our, or eight in our group, and we're each sharing a chapter with each other, and we're reading each other's work each night. And... And then we're critiquing it through the day and, and just working and learning on different, you know, plot points and character development and stuff. And then when we come to this, to my first sex chapter, the teacher says, and oh, by the way, tomorrow you're going to read your chapters out loud. (laughs) 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 I like going, um, no, you know, so, so that night we had to send it out. And so everybody read it that night and we came in the next morning. Now to preface this, there were eight people in my group, four women, four men. And we had a forensic psychologist, uh, a, um, a reporter for for some New York magazine. I mean, we had a head of some hospital down in Dallas. We had quite quite a prison guard. We had like quite the professional, interesting group. Now these guys, the men, every day while we're critiquing each other's work, one of them he actually an oncologist. We had an oncologist. He actually would make notes on a paper and hand you his review of of what he thought you might like to do. And these men are saying, well, you should do this and you should do this. And I think this. So they're very vocal and very helpful to every chapter until this day. And not one of them said one word. <laughs> they were silent. But all the women said, oh, I really liked it. I really love that. You know, so, so the women really got into it. But it was really interesting because the men could not critique this. They just couldn't do it. Wow. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe they were all just shell shocked, you know, it's like, except for one of them, his girlfriend was in town and, and, and so I think they read it together hmm. and the next day, then, then after the conference is open, they said, Hey, if you and your husband ever want to come down to San Diego, <laughs> come on down. It's pretty funny. Wow. 
He's like, so I see you guys like my you guys like my chapter four, didn't you? You want more of that, don't you? <laughs> so, no, it was like it it was you know getting through that writing that it was the hardest thing I ever had to do, but then it made everything else on paper easy. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Is there a oh. is there a formula that, that that you know, like there are with movies where some degree to be to be popular you have to have some of that um you know what i don't think so mm-hmm. i don't think so you know it just depends what genre you're writing in right, right. you know and, and a lot of the the guy books guys don't know how to write mm-hmm. romance and sex you know mm-hmm. they just don't and and i don't know why but but a lot of the women writers you know nora yeah. roberts and, and and those gals they have a lot of that in there and yeah. It's like, you know, I remember reading my first Nora Roberts chapter once many years ago, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, not only have I ever thought of this, if I did think about it, I don't know if I could write it. You know, it's like <laughs> I told my husband, I said, I'm definitely going to have to do research on this subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know why that Very is, nice. that men can't write about it, right? Why? Because people don't, people, don't, people want to read a novel. They don't want to read a short story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. that's really good. Nice. Way to go, Carl. I know. I'm going to be in trouble for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, you know, Carl, about your being out of, you know, your wife, um, or not your wife, your girlfriend, Freudian mm-hmm. stuff there. Your girlfriend, um, thinking you have this great time out there. When I was over flying the Hajj with Tower Air, and we were stuck on the ground, I think in Singapore or somewhere, and, and I was at nighttime going out clubbing with the guys at night. You know, I was the only woman, and we'd go out, the guy, out with the guys, and and go to different clubs, and then they were teaching me how to golf, and and so it was really fun. And so one day we're sitting on the airplane, and I was telling him, yeah, I called my husband and told them you, you know, told me how to golf and taught me how to use left hand clubs, and that we went out um, dancing last night. And the flight engineer says, Carlene, 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 if I've taught you nothing, you call home and say <laughs> the plane's broken, it's been raining. And I'm having a horrible time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of been my kind of my joke around here. I've been married, gosh, we're coming up on 31 years. Wow. And so when I told my husband that years ago, and I told him that, he said, honey, he goes, you work so hard around here. He goes, I want you to have a good time when you're out of town. <laughs> so, yeah, so it doesn't. I, I'm very fortunate to, to have a spouse that gets jealous and I can come home and tell him what's good. <laughs> out there you know <laughs> that's great i mean yeah. because i mean gosh you see so many people i'm sure you've seen of these crews that they have they land and they have to call their spouse or their girlfriend right away and tell them what they're doing and it's like gosh you know just let me you know leave them alone let them enjoy their their flight time and let them enjoy their time away and uh you know i i do think a lot of people feel guilty though and uh, when they're on the road and and say hey you know i'm here i'm having this great time especially if they have babies at home because uh, you know a lot of my contemporaries are having some babies, and it's like, gosh, you know, don't you know, don't feel bad. Enjoy the sleep, you know, enjoy the rest, because you're gonna get home, and it's like, here, hon, here's the baby, you know, and uh, you know, hope you enjoyed the beach. <laughs> right. You uh, know, I always, I really view this job as my paid vacation. Amen. And, but you know, it's like for for all the the image of the little snippets that the people at home think that, oh wow, you live this glamorous life. There are, you know, you don't sleep. You're, you're, you may be out running around Europe and taking pictures, but you're so tired that you wake up the next morning and go, "What city am I in?" Yeah, where am I? Yeah. So, and and 
and all the work, you know, and, and just even the stress of going in and knowing that you've got to go in every six months and get that physical or your whole career could be over if you, you know, something's, you know, not quite right. And so there's a, there's a lot of added pressure and then going in for the recurrent checks and, and, um, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of stress, a lot of training. So. But with that said, would you, would you do it again? Oh gosh. Yeah. It's the best job in the world. <laughs> sure beats working. Yeah, it sure Absolutely. does be working. <laughs> Lord knows I never work. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, and the funny thing is, is after so many airlines, I remember when Northwest was filing bankruptcy and, and one of our, um, my fellow instructors came in and said, you know, we got to, I had to take my son into counseling because he's been having um, stomach problems. We found out it was an ulcer. So we need to, you know, make sure that we're not talking about this stuff at home in front of our families because it's impacting them. So I came home and I asked my kids, I said, how come none of you seem to be bothered by this, um, you know, this bankruptcy? And my daughter, uh, Kayla, said, well, Mom, you did it. She goes, you've been bankrupt before. She says, every time you've started over, it's worked out. Why wouldn't it work out this time? <laughs> so and I thought, okay, that's a good point. You know, it's just, it's just your attitude. When, when one airline goes away, it's really, it's always been not a, oh, wow, it's gone. It's like, oh, good, what do I get to do now? So, yeah, it's an it's almost a an opportunity of freedom, you know. Well, this wasn't the plan that I had, but now oh, I have an opportunity to change something and and see where it goes. Right. So, but just, you you've definitely had quite the uh, quite the career. It sounds like as far as experience, just about. Um, have you been furloughed? Um. Yeah, I have been furloughed. So it sounds like you've run the full gamut, except for the fact that you haven't. I don't know if you had a divorce previous to this, but. Uh, you know, you typically hear, I've been furloughed, I lost my job, I'm bankrupt, I got divorced. You know, this job can do all kinds of things, but uh, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, you know what, I, and I haven't been divorced. Um, I keep telling my husband he's the first, he's my first husband. And and that's probably why I have to keep starting over, because you can't really be a captain until you have a divorce under your belt. So <laughs> <laughs> they keep airlines keep starting over and parking me at the bottom of that seniority list. Sure. but. You know, it is what it is, but it, it works out. You know, it's like the three kids and six grandkids now. It just, it's pretty full mm-hmm. of life. I have to tell you something funny. My uh, Victoria, you would like this. My little granddaughter, she's three and a half, but she's probably about two and a half years old. I painted this room. It looks like a forest. We call it the tree room because I have branches that go over the ceiling and there's, it's trees. It's like you're sleeping in a forest. And so I put little glow in the dark stars up there and, and we turned the lights off. Yeah, and, she, and we're lying in the bed. And my little granddaughter, she says, Grandma, this is so cool. And I said, I know, honey. And then she says, Grandma, I want to fly. And I'm thinking, oh, my granddaughter's going to be a pilot. And a few minutes later, she says, I want wings like Tinkerbell. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll start her in uh, hang gliders. How about that? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So now we have little fairies, actually little fairies in this tree branches of this room. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I admit I kind of want to be in that room. <laughs> yeah. Sounds very come, nice. You can come out on the 24th. We're not not going to be in the flat forward week, but we're doing our flat forward event on the 24th. You are of doing an event. I was going to ask you that. You are. Uh, we are. We were going to do it. We we're going to do it the week of for women of aviation, but the Women in Aviation Conference was going on, and I'm going down to interview some scholarship recipients with ISA. And then 
And then I wanted to get aviation high school, the gals in aviation high school involved in this. And so there's a senior who's kind of working on this. It's as her senior project. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And she's going to be, she's back in Washington, D.C. during this time. So it just wouldn't worked out. So we just moved it. We're still doing it. Just not going to be, not going to count for flights, but. Hey, but you know what? You're still introducing women to aviation. Actually, that could bring me kind of to my next question because I don't know how many of the listeners out there know what Carlene has done. She's done fly it forward events and actually renting. Didn't you win the Centennial um, Most Female Pilot Friendly, Friendly Airport Award? The first we, year round, we got it in the United States. We were, oh. we were, you know, and I still think that we probably should have won it because they were being a little sneaky up in Canada. Oh. <laughs> because we, we were like watching the stats, and we were right up there in the thirty first. We flew like in three, three different days. We ended up with, I don't know how many. I mean, a lot. And then all of a sudden, they popped up some extra ones. So it was really close. And the great thing about it, about you know, the pilots coming out and doing this is it, it really sparked some competition up there. So we got far more people. I think it, you know, it was kind of phasing out. And, and then when Canada thought, oh, we don't have this anymore, we better start flying people. <laughs> yeah, but so we made it in the United States. It was a fun competition, though. Oh, it was. And it's for, for a really good cause. And, and, you know, and it's kind of interesting, the different, different, you know, the 99s. Everyone says, well, what's a 99? What's a fly, women in aviation or women of aviation, you know? And, and the way I look at it is women of aviation is really about opening the door and introducing somebody to an airplane you may not have, you know, gone before. I got into it because somebody told me at nine years old I couldn't do it and I was stubborn enough to say I would. You know, I wonder back then, had that conversation never happened, what would have got me into an airplane? Is that what um, got you along writing the book? I noticed there was a little bit of that females aren't so great a pilot's role in there. Um, I think the one character, Darby, said she had to work twice as hard as everyone else. Um, can you elaborate on that a bit, maybe? Well, you know what? Actually, there was one line in there um, where, do you remember when Bill said, yeah, you can teach a monkey how to fly, but you can't teach it how to think? Yep, yep. Okay. I was actually working at a grocery store and I, and I had a little airplane charm. I was 17 years old and had a little airplane charm around my neck, on my, you know, chain hanging from my neck. And some guy comes through my line. He says, why do you have that airplane? I said, I'm going to be a pilot. And he told me that you can teach a monkey to think and you can't teach it how to fly. Or you can teach it how to fly, but you can't teach it how to think. Wow. <laughs> and that has stuck with me first. So I had to put it in there. I just had to. That's so, but yeah, revenge to that man. <laughs> you know, I wish, I wish I could, I knew who he was and one day walk back and say, Hey, the monkey's up flying the airplane, you know, but I don't know who he is. And all I kept thinking at the time is there was a big poster on the back wall for all the employees that said the customer is king. And so I kept thinking, okay, you need this job to earn some money, to pay for your flying lessons. Don't, don't, you know, deck the customer, you know, <laughs> let it, let him just have his say and go on his way. You know, it's pretty funny, but, um, yeah, so it it has been a challenge. And here's the funny thing in my instrument class I'm taking right now. It occurred to me, as as a woman pilot, I always felt like I had to do better. I had to get that top score. I had to be at the peak of performance because if I made an error, if I failed, then everyone says, oh, it's the women pilot. This is like attributed to all women, women yeah. pilots, okay? So we are like the representative for the rest of our um, – you know, gender. 
So now I'm sitting in this class and I go, I told my instructor, I said, wow, I'm going to have to get 100 on this test because I'm representing all airline pilots now. <laughs> you know, it's like, if I fail, they're going to go, oh, that airline pilot, all those airline <laughs> pilots don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of funny. But yeah, no, I always felt like I had to do work hard or do more. And, and the reality is I did because I know being instructing for so many years, I, I have seen a lot of stuff and a lot of simulators where, where men, i.e. just make, you know, horrendous errors, just things that are like, that you say, okay, here, it is what it is, let's fix this and move on. If, a, if I saw a woman make even, you know, a fraction of that, I would hear in the cafeteria, it was compounded 10 times and they were talking about it somewhere outside the simulator. Where a guy's event never never went any farther. It was like not even an issue. So wow. it was yeah, it was a it was flagged, you know. But big difference. Yeah, but but you know what? But on the hindsight, you know, it's like you think, oh, it, that's not a bad thing. You know, if for whatever reason you can push yourself to be the best you can be is a good thing. You know, so so is it was was I being the best I could be because of that, or is that just my personality? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a fun it's been a fun career. And and my my next book, I actually do have book number two that's in progress called Flight for Safety. Ooh. I'll have to get on my Kindle again soon then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not gonna come out. Hopefully it'll be coming out fairly quick. But the funny thing is, is I go out and I do a lot of speaking with kids and stuff. And the first um, 11 year old that said, Oh, I can only wait till your book comes out. My, you know, it's like, uh, uh no, you can't read my book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your mom and dad can read my book. You can't read my book. So <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually writing a book called flight to success. And I'm in the process of working on that right now. And it's a, it's really a leadership motivational book on how to achieve success and really what is success. But each letter in flight to success is, is some leadership trait. So um, it's been kind of fun to write, and and hopefully we'll get that one out for the our younger read. You know, it'll be something nice that the, the the everyone can read, but it'll be something age appropriate too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, help help our young pilots. Because one thing that I've realized blogging and and the, I mean, I I I flew over to Tokyo and got on my computer. I had 168 emails. I've got so many kids who I think the general theme is. I really want this, but I don't have anyone who says I can do it or they don't think I can do it. And what does it take to be a pilot? You know, and I think everybody just needs somebody out there to say, you know, tell them they can. You, know, you can yeah. do it. Definitely. So, yeah. And then I'm working on my A330 study guide too, if you guys want to learn how to fly the Airbus. <laughs> I thought it flew itself. That's what the media told me. <laughs> that might come in handy. No. <laughs> exactly. Oh, let's get out Carlene's book and see how to do this. <laughs> Wait a minute. The airplane's doing this. It's like, you know, it's kind of funny because that, that manual is so thick. And I mean, the manuals, I shouldn't say manual. The manuals are so thick. And, and for anyone going through training manuals, you can go in and memorize data. But on something like this, it's a conceptual thing. It's kind of like, you can you can say you know here are all the facts. It's, I have to equate it back to when I very first got on the seven twenty seven, and they're talking about buses. And my image of a bus was a yellow thing with wheels on it. Okay, <laughs> and I'm and I so I was like so far behind, and I memorized all these facts 
that I had to, you know, what was on what bus and what powered what and this and that. And I got there and I had all this data in my mind, but I didn't know how to pull it together in the, you know, I went and sat in my first sim session with Evergreen and was just observing and all of a sudden I go, ah, I get it. But, but reading that book, I didn't get it. I, I had the aptitude to memorize any fact and know what everything was doing, was supposed to do, but pulling it all together, that was completely different, you know? So, um, so I think that that's what I'm going with my, my A330. It's kind of like, yeah, we can read our manual and read that the thrust levers do A, B, C, D, and F, G. But when you get in there, it's like, okay, but how do they really work? You know, what do you really need to know and how do they really work? And that's kind of what I'm, I'm angling at, you know, for this book. That, that somebody could read it and get it right off the first reading. And that's the, you, this is the flight to success one you're speaking of. Uh, this one's, this one's going to be the A330. Oh, I'm sorry, the A330, yep. Yeah, A330 study guide, so. Right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really thinking I'm just going to make it a PDF file because I'm not going to go have this done in a, in a book format because I want to put, put photos and pictures in there because pictures speak a thousand words when you can see it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, it would just be so cost prohibitive. So I'm just going to make it a PDF file that people can actually just download the file, you know, and, and use it that way, I think. So we'll see. But first, I got to get it, get it done. But once again, it's a very helpful tool for me to keep my head in the books, too. Mm -hmm. And you're flying the aircraft now, so it also adds to another level of your own personal proficiency. Right, right, exactly. Wonderful. Well, um, we have been spending a, a good amount of time, and we haven't really told the folks uh, some of the particulars. The, again, the, the name of the book is Flight for Control. Our author today joining us is Carlene Pettit. Carlene, where can, uh, where can our listeners get a copy of your book? I guess it's, uh, it, there's both a physical copy and a digital copy. Right. Amazon, on Amazon.com, you can get, find the hardback, the paperback, and a Kindle. Barnes & Noble, you can buy the hardback and paperback, and um, they've got the Nook at BarnesandNoble.com. But if you go to my blog at CarleenPettit.blogspot.com, I'm actually selling hardbacks and paperbacks that I'll autograph and, and ship to you. And, and I've included shipping and tax, and the kind of funny thing is that Shipping is so horrendous. It's cost me $18 to ship international. Right. So I've made it, I, I, I've priced it just so I can at least, you know, I think I'm making like 98 cents on those books, which while they seem like they might be expensive, <laughs> but, but it's been kind of fun. You know, I don't mind because a lot of people who are, who are around the world who I've met on Twitter and on Facebook that are just wonderful. It's been really fun to be able to write them a special message and send them a hardback book. And, and so that's kind of nice. But, yeah, so people can get them on my blog uh, through PayPal or you can get them on, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Great. So it's Carlene Pettit. That's P-E-T-I-T-T dot blogspot dot com. We'll also have a link here in the show notes uh, for, for the listeners interested in purchasing the book. Uh, Flight for Control by Carlene Pettit. Uh, Carlene, from uh, myself, Len, and Rick, uh, Victoria, and Carl, thanks for joining us today. It's been a, it's been a great uh, chance getting to speak to you about the book. I've, you know, I know that the rest of my co-hosts who haven't had a chance to finish it are probably going to be rushing through the rest of it to to find out, you know, the end of the story. And um, well, at uh, least at to, least chapter twenty three. Right. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> That's kidding. what I was going to say. They're skipping to chapter twenty three. Yeah. Well, that yeah, it's. Uh, 
I'm going to motor through it. Here we go. Well, yeah, good deal. <laughs> so, uh, for besides the uh, besides the blog, do you uh, have any other ways folks can interact with you? Twitter, Facebook, anything like that you'd like to share on the show? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at just my name, Carlene Pettit, and that's Carlene with a K. And then I've also got a Facebook that's Carlene Pettit. Um, and then, yeah, so that's how you can find me. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Oh, it's been fun talking to you guys, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. The After Landing Checklist. And uh, um, for the uh, for the listeners out there to get in touch with the podcast, it's stuckmikeavcast.com. We're also stuckmikeavcast on Twitter and Facebook. Individually, uh, Victoria, how can folks get in touch with you? You can find me on all my contact info at toriaflies.blogspot.com. All right. And what about Carl? Uh, you can find me at my blog, expertaviator.com, or on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter under Expert Aviator. Rick, come on down. Yeah, rotationspeed.com, and on Twitter, rfelty, and on YouTube, rdfelty. Right. And for uh, if you're looking for me over at thepilotreport.com, the same on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, from Len Costa, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, Victoria Neuville, our special guest tonight, Carlene Pettit, thank you again for tuning in to episode 20 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We all wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.